0: This is a Vault Studios production. I'm Reed Redmond.
1: I'm Spencer Brudig. I'm Will Johnson. This show contains graphic material and is meant for mature audiences.
0: This week on True Crime Chronicles. And to this day, it's sad to say these cases remain
2: a big open question as much as when they were first happening.
0: Southwest Louisiana, the edge of Cajun country near the Texas border, and a string of killings that took place over the course of four years, from 2005 to 2009. Loretta Chasson-Lewis, Ernestine Patterson, Kristen Lopez, Whitney Dubois, Laconia Brown, Crystal Zeno, Brittany Gary, Nicole Guillory. Their unsolved killings garnered national attention often portrayed as the work of a serial killer. And perhaps what is most disturbing, the theories that persist to this day, that law enforcement is somehow involved in all this.
2: The prevailing
0: theory is that
2: there are still people living and probably working with a you know, badge and a gun who have knowledge and information
0: about people who were either directly or indirectly involved in these murders. Five years after the last of the murders, Mike Perlstein, a reporter at WWL-TV in New Orleans, started looking into the Jennings eight, as they came to be known. I think we have more than one killer here, and I think they all run in the same circle.
2: I think somebody knows something, but they're scared to talk. Private Uh, investigator Kirk Menard knows as much as anyone about these murders, which gripped the community from 2005 to 2009 and has set the town on edge ever since. Menard was hired by the families of several victims, hired after local police came up empty. You know, sometimes I wonder, are they any further along than what they were the first day they started? It was more fear of law enforcement because many of those key players were still around, were still running divisions of the police department and the sheriff's office. And that these eight were by no means the only unsolved murders, In fact, uh, I think an element of my story showed that the solve rate in that parish was one of the worst in the entire country when it came to homicide. So while the killings that were directly linked to the Jennings 8 um, stopped, there is to this day fear of the law, you know, law enforcement having been involved, still around. um, And, you know, people tread very lightly with that very high level of distrust of law enforcement in that tiny town of Jennings.
0: Jennings itself is in Jefferson Davis Parish. It's a small rural parish in Southwest Louisiana near the Texas border.
2: It's farm country. Nearby is St. Charles, which is an uh, industrial oil complex area. But Jennings itself is just a speck on the map, tiny town. And that is one of the things that makes the case of the Jennings 8 uh, so remarkable, uh, shrouded in you know mystery. You would think that in a small town where everybody knows everybody, uh, you know, the whole community passes through one main diner in the middle of town. That the murders of eight women in a span of four years would generate, you know, more leads and tips to solve some, if not all, of these cases. And instead, all these years later, it appears that authorities are no closer to solving any of these murders than when they first happened.
0: As it turns out, the victims, ranging in age from 17 to 26, all knew each other. Some were related.
2: You know, the theme of all eight of these were um, all women. Uh, there was an age range. Some, some of them were uh, quite young. And they all had some similarities of uh, either drug use, drug abuse, some low-level prostitution, some trading of sexual favors for drugs. And many, if not if not all of the women, knew each other. Some were related. Some were very close friends. I mean, I could tell you that perhaps in the first couple of killings, um, they might have fallen a little under the radar simply because of their station in life. Some of these women had been, you know, in and out of jail on their own minor charges related to drug use, prostitution. They frequented an area of town that, that was known for that kind of trafficking. Uh, that changed, and I believe it was after the third killing where there were clear links between the victims and people on that town were very much on edge. Who's going to be next? And of course, people who lived in in that sphere, a little bit of a Jennings underworld, uh, were in tremendous fear. And sure enough, some of that fear was realized. Some of these victims actually expressed genuine fear, almost premonitions that they knew a lot and might let live to tell about it only to end up being killed themselves so once it got like i said to that third killing all linked in this tiny town where everybody knows everybody uh fear was probably the the dominant emotion that i encountered when i went there and spent some time
0: and ultimately, the manner of killing and where the bodies were dumped would leave locals to believe that the murders couldn't be the work of an outsider.
2: The first victim was, you know, body was found half submerged in a bayou, and that became the M.O. and, and common thread for all eight of these. The town itself is, like I said, quite small. It's surrounded by farm fields, and crisscrossed by, you know, some pretty shallow bayous, pretty common in rural parts of South Louisiana. And the fact that the bodies were dumped, in many cases, just on the outskirts of town, some on dirt roads, led uh, authorities and just people in the community to believe that this was the work of somebody in their midst, somebody from Jennings who knew these backroads quite well. And that, once again, added another layer to the mystery as to you know, why the authorities kept coming to a dead end.
0: As Mike Pearlstein got to know the cases and the players in Jennings, he also got to know Ethan Brown, an author who wrote a book about the Jennings Eight, Murder in the Bayou. Brown spent endless hours doing his own investigation, trying to get access to an FBI task force and any evidence uncovered over the years.
3: They're getting tons of information um, about specific cops and deputies um, and their involvement in these homicides with the misconduct that's really marred this whole case, um, really from the get-go on the, on the part of law enforcement.
2: But he seemed to have gotten much further than the FBI task force in gathering information. Uh, I was able to get access to some of the you know FBI task force reports. They interviewed dozens upon dozens of witnesses, Um, people who knew the women. And I can tell you that there were some, you know, at times pretty promising leads. For example, one central figure in all of this is a gentleman by the name of Frankie Richard. He was a drug dealer. He ran a nightclub. He at times was a pimp. Uh, And He also was somebody who uh, indulged in his own product, so to speak, both a heavy drug user and, uh, by many accounts, an abuser of of women, some who worked for him as prostitutes. Well, Frankie Richard had ties and connections to all eight of these women, some very close, very intimately, by his own admission, and in two cases— he is believed to be the last person, the last known person, to be with or speak to two of the victims. Now, Frankie Richard at one point was actually arrested and booked in one of these killings. Uh, the along with another woman as an accomplice, the you know evidence didn't hold up. Those never became criminal charges. He was released on on that particular murder and. He, you know, the rumors, information, and evidence swirled around him all the way up till his untimely death uh, last year in March.
0: But before his death, Mike Pearlstein had the chance to meet Frankie Richard in person and ask him a few questions about the Jennings 8.
2: Let's start with what we know. You had a history of uh, owning strip clubs? Right. Using drugs. Right. Including hard drugs. Correct. Cocaine. Okay. Crack cocaine. Right. How much crack cocaine? A whole lot. Yeah, it was one of the more memorable interviews that I've done in that at various points, he came across as extremely candid, almost a confessional about the hard life he had lived, about the uh, deep, Involvement with
0: drugs and prostitution, and Frankie Richard claimed to know most of the victims to some degree.
2: I have gotten high with most of them, okay, most of the girls,
0: and had sex with some of them. Oh, uh, yeah, a couple of. Them. If
2: you were law enforcement, would not you come to you with questions? Of course. Yes, I would. I would come with uh, questions, and it became quite chilling when we came a little closer to questions about these eight murders. On those questions, he got very cagey. He indicated he knew a lot. He was adamant that he had nothing to do with the murders. But he did say, without spelling it out to me, that he had information that could help solve the murders. I didn't have anything to do with any of the killings. I never hurt any of them girls in any kind of way. I believe that if it wasn't a cop that done it, there's a cop that knows who done it. He pointed the finger very directly at law enforcement being involved in some of these killings. Now, there are all kinds of uh, overlap between law enforcement and some of the street characters, including Frankie Richard, as... Informants or, or working with authorities, but in this particular case, it went beyond that uh, into law enforcement. And you know, some figures have been named uh, as possibly being directly involved in the killings of these women's to either you know shut them up, uh, silence the others. You know, some of those these women may have been witnesses or had important information about other killings
0: whatever secrets frankie richard claimed to know about they presumably died with him
2: with the death of frankie richard who was probably the you know best living source of information he had talked about you know it's someday you know telling all he knows even writing a book um asking for immunity. He was, you know, clearly involved in a variety of ways, even though he denied direct involvement in the murders. And with his death, um, you know, I asked around, and what I found was a complete dead end when it came to solving the murders, only a deepening of the mystery.
0: But over the years, that mystery and rumors of police involvement coincided with actual corruption charges within various departments. Local
2: law enforcement, both Jeff Davis Parish Sheriff's Office and the Jennings Police Department seem to have characters, um, you know, officers, some high-ranking officers who cross paths with these women in these cases. Uh, many of them were themselves uh, hit by scandal. Um uh, many ended up being fired only to pop up in other rural police departments nearby. And that also had a bit of a chilling effect on potential witnesses, uh, to keep them from coming forward. You know, when they saw that anyone with information include, you know, some of the Jennings eight victims wound up dead, uh, that can give a person second thoughts about coming forward with, knowledge that might have helped solve these cases.
0: To make matters worse, evidence was lost, or in one case, washed away.
2: You know, some of the things that were done, for example, evidence coming up missing, you know, from the evidence room that really could have been instrumental in this case. um, But somehow, you know, the evidence room in the hands of of officers who were under suspicion or or even implicated as being involved in these killings, uh, only to have, for example, you know, one major, major piece of evidence was a truck that, by all accounts, was used to transport the body of one of the victims to uh, a bayou just outside the city limits and dumped, uh, containing potentially very valuable DNA evidence, and, you know, was tagged as as evidence, not just in a murder case, but in this serial murder uh, case being investigated, you know, by a whole FBI task force. Well, that truck ended up being, you know, washed down and sold by a a key officer who was under suspicion in this. And there were some repercussions, um, demotion, and eventually that, that person losing his job. But it seemed to grind the investigation itself to a screeching halt on the what was probably one of the most promising single pieces of evidence in this case.
0: There aren't a lot of new tips that come in on the Jennings 8 these days. It's been over a decade now since the last victim was killed. But still, the rumors linger in the small town, much as they did back when these murders first took place, and in 2014, when Mike Perlstein started looking into the cases.
2: The law enforcement element, and that was another sort of common response that I got, just regular people in the town thought there is no possible way that these could go unsolved without some kind of hand of law enforcement to cover up, if not be involved themselves. That is a sentiment that prevails to this day and was heavily uh, spelled out in these expansive accounts such as, you know, Ethan Brown's book and later the documentary. The prevailing theory about these killings is that it was not so much at the hands of a, a single deranged serial killer. That seemingly would have been much easier to pinpoint, uh, you know, a suspect. But that it were, was possibly uh, a group of figures um maybe multiple killers, maybe multiple killers in any single murder who, you know, were all in a a conspiracy. Frankie Richard did have a lot of knowledge and information that he was always kind of okay to hint at, and he stopped at a very bright red line in naming names. But he always said, I know a lot if I ever get immunity. uh, I can say a lot about law enforcement.
0: For True Crime Chronicles, I'm Will Johnson, here with Spencer Brudig and Reed Redman. For our listeners who have listened to the episode and are wondering about the cause of death in all of these eight cases, we mentioned that in two of the cases, the victim's throats were slashed. Unfortunately, the other six bodies were in advanced stages of decomposition. No definitive cause of death could be determined. However, pathology evidence pointed to strangulation, asphyxiation, drowning in at least four of the other killings. But we're just really unsure about the cause of death in those other six cases.
3: Well, you know, I I think the thing that really makes this case so hard to wrap my mind around is how interconnected all of the parties are, or in some cases allegedly are. Uh, These women were reported to have worked as informants with the sheriff's office. They also worked with or for Frankie Richard, who at one point was arrested, as you mentioned, and There have been other allegations of of corruption and conspiracy between Frankie Richard and members of law enforcement. It's just this tangled web of allegations and rumors, and um, some of them seem to be more corroborated than others. But talking about the allegations involving members of law enforcement, have any of those allegations gone anywhere?
0: I mean, to answer your question, no. Several law enforcement officers from different agencies have been implicated over the years. All have generally denied involvement or cover-up. But some deputies and officers have been fired and or suspended. But just to make clear, once again, those firing suspensions were not related to the murder cases.
1: Will, uh, just like uh, Reed mentioned, uh, Frankie Richard, a lot just comes back to him. Uh, he's that interview is just like deeply compelling uh, that, that you have in the episode. I, I wanted to know it's mentioned that his death kind of um, in a lot of ways stopped the investigation in in some ways, a a major character of this story died. Um, Do you have any more information on what happened to Frankie Richard? How did he die?
0: Yeah. So Frankie Richard died after a stay in the hospital for a variety of ailments related to generally poor health. We understand the family does suspect he also contracted COVID, but there was no definitive diagnosis.
1: And, you know, for me, I, I, uh, I saw a lot of kind of connections to Bardstown. Um, in this episode, just kind of the big connected web. Are all of these people actually connected? Are is law enforcement connected? And and at the end of the day, unfortunately, we're just not able to definitively say yes or no. But lots of uh, interesting connections, and and it reminded me a lot of of our first season of Bardstown.
0: Yeah, and for our listeners who are not familiar with Bardstown, that is uh, another one of our vault shows. You can check it out wherever you listen to podcasts.
3: Will, you and you and Mike both mentioned that Jennings is a small town, and we're talking a population of around ten thousand. So to have eight bodies turn up in the span of 4 years it is astounding to have all of these go unsolved in a town of that size it really just it boggles the mind.
0: Yeah, and when you talk to Mike Perlstein about the cases, you know, is a real visceral experience as he as he describes it going into this small community and looking into these really terrible crimes. So, thanks once again to Mike Perlstein from WWL TV in New Orleans. Spencer, we have fans flocking to our Facebook page, tell us more about that.
1: Yeah, we have a Facebook group called Inside the Crime Vault. Uh, We have 6,000 members of like-minded true crime fans, so we hope to uh, see you in there discussing this case and others like it.
0: All right, you can join myself and Reed Redman on the daily crime five days a week, Monday through Friday. We cover a new case every day. In the meantime, we'll be back next week with a new case and a new story.